Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in collaboration with Beecher Carlson and all about cyber insurance and how captives are playing an increasing role in various layers of programs. Joining me for the next 20 minutes or so is Pete Krantz, Executive Managing Director and Captive Practice Leader and Chris Keegan, a Senior Managing Director and Cyber and Technology National Practice Leader at Beecher Carlson. Pete and Chris will explain what insurance buyers are looking for in cyber coverage today, why we have historically not seen much cyber go into captive insurance companies and how and why that is changing today. But first, Chris begins by providing some context on the state of the cyber insurance market today. A huge change has, has taken place in the cyber insurance market over the last 10 years. And I think largely the biggest change has, has taken place after the, over the last two or three years. Um, the first eight, let's say, of the last 10 years, we had a situation which was really a terrific situation for buyers of cyber insurance, where we had sort of a combination of factors going on. The rates were falling. We had new markets entering the marketplace. Uh, we had coverage expanding, uh, and even during that, we had claims increasing, but the claims that we saw during that period tended to be sort of occasional large breaches, uh, and the markets really weren't uh, suffering uh, significantly. In fact, they were doing quite well uh, in respect of their loss ratios. Um, and you know, 10 years ago, companies were uncertain whether they needed cyber insurance, and really only those companies holding personal information uh, were those companies that were really particularly interested in being the buyers. So that's changed significantly over the last two years. We had maybe you know, two or three years ago, NotPetya, which was one of the first viruses that caused business large-scale business interruption losses. And, and over the last two years, we've had the rise of ransomware and other first-party losses. And it's taken a little while for those impacts to actually impact the marketplace. But what, has, uh, what the changes have taken place in the last two years have been is the companies um, have, have much more increasingly been buying coverage and rates because of the loss ratios going up in the uh, cyber insurance market. We've seen the rates considerably increasing and increasing on an increasing basis, if that's the right way to term it. So the, the curve is starting to go up. So, you know, for example, last year it was maybe five to 15% increases. Yeah. Beginning of this year, 10 to 40%. And, you know, sort of latter part of this year, we're seeing usually over 50%, but even into the hundreds of percent of increases. And so in that same time period, because of those losses, uh, we're seeing markets reducing their limits, increasing scrutiny on controls and coverage uh, being restricted in some instances. And so just, just back to those increases, I'll say that those large increases where we're looking at maybe two, three, four hundred percent, they tend to be on the, the smaller programs and, and larger programs tend to be a little bit more contained uh, in their increases. But but those are the increases where companies are starting to look at uses of captives in order to be able to manage the way that these large cyber programs are developing. So that's that's the background. So, yeah, and we're going to come on to uh, kind of the captive participation in a moment in, in more detail with Pete and yourself. But before we get into that, Chris, could you also just kind of, as you said, obviously, people are buying more cyber or they're looking to buy uh, more cyber coverage and, and our understanding of the risk is is developing all the time. What are corporate insurance buyers actually looking for uh, overall in their in their cyber coverage? 
they're looking for breadth of coverage, I think, primarily. I think in you know, previous years, quite often companies were looking maybe for just you know, liability coverage. Uh, but as time has gone on, some of the components of coverage that you know, two or three years ago or, or longer, we really thought of as throw-in coverages, you know, cyber extortion being one of those, the demands for coverage have been significantly broader. So they're looking for, I would say, you know, comprehensive coverage. So that would be covering both the liability components, the you know, where you've had privacy situations, breaches of confidential information, looking for the damages and the defense costs of lawsuits and, and regulatory suits, but then also in addition to that, the cost of responding to those coverages and the coverages that we are now using on a regular basis, which is, as I said, the extortion coverage, cyber extortion coverage in response to ransomware events, but also the the business interruption coverage and data reconstruction coverage, the cost of actually dealing with the upshot of and the back end of uh, the ransomware types of attacks. They're always looking for reasonable cost uh, or what they perceive as reasonable cost because that seems to be a standard in the insurance markets. And I think over the last you know, two or three years, the benefits of cyber insurance, which you know, perhaps were questionable, even you know, back to your question in the first 10 years, up until maybe four or five years ago, there was always a question mark over, is cyber going to actually perform? And I think you know, those questions don't come up with our practice that often anymore. I think it's clear that they actually are performing. And the benefits of the policies have become clear. So now it's become a question for our clients is, is you know, what the cost versus the benefit is. And that's the, the question. And then, you know, that sort of feeds back into what sort of limits companies should be buying. Thanks, Chris. Uh, that, that's really useful context, um, I think. Pete, then cyber insurance has probably traditionally come under the non-traditional uh, bucket of, of, of insurance we typically see go into captives. So historically, why have we not seen cyber premium go into captives in, in any great volume? Yeah. So again, another great question, Richard. You're so good with these questions. It's almost like it's a professional job of mine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You'd, you'd have to wonder, wouldn't you? So, so if we think back, you know, 12, 14 years when, when we sort of started to see cyber risk be talked about in captives, it, it was very much an unknown risk or, or an unknown exposure. It was developing, the markets were there, and it was sort of like, do we really want to take this risk on in the captive when we, it's difficult to sort of model it and, and try to determine how much we're actually exposed to. So we saw hesitancy there. We, we, we heard it talked about within captives. We saw hesitancy. And then what happened? And I'm going to build on on what Chris was saying was, you know, through that that eight year of the last ten year stretch, we really started to see the, the markets respond and uh, develop and had good pricing, uh, and so it was possible to transfer that risk cost efficiently to the marketplace. So why take it in your captive? Again, as Chris said, in the last two years, and I'd say from my experience in the last year in particular, we're really seeing you know forced increased retentions. We're seeing reductions in capacity and limit on the top side. We're seeing exclusions, but those things didn't weren't necessarily there in that you know that prior gap of time. Now we're having you know more events occur. I'll say make another comment, which is you know twelve to fourteen years ago we called it an evolving risk. Well, guess what? Today it's an evolving risk. It's still changing. Yeah, yeah. And, and the exposure and the types of claims, types of events that can happen are still developing. So, you know, how much risk, how much of an unknown do you want to take into your captive? And not just even take into your captive, but do you want to take on as risk? 
Well, yeah. So how? Yeah, I'll throw that straight back at you then. I mean, how how is that conversation then changing in this market environment? As you say, obviously premiums are going up across the board, and, and cyber is no different to that. How is that attitude changing from from the insurance buyer in regards to entering a captive into the conversation, Pete? 12, 14 years ago, unknown risk, not necessarily a lot of market out there to, to transfer the risk. That developed, became a solution. With that now going away, what we have is a situation where the, the markets are essentially forcing risk onto the insurance, right? Instead of saying, you know, we're not going to give you a, a, a million dollar deductible, you need to have at least a five million, maybe even a 10 million. So now the company's forced to take on that risk. I would say to, to some degree that that risk with the market is more defined than it was. You know, we talk about exclusions, ransomware, something like that. Some areas where there may be undefined exposures are typically excluded or not specifically prescribed in the, in the coverage. Therefore, the coverage being more defined, you know what you're taking on. But it's a situation where the, the markets simply aren't providing it. And so the question is, do you want to finance it through operations or can we use our captive and finance it through? So we are certainly, not only seeing more interest in it, we're actually seeing the risk go into captives. Um, and I, I'll give a little bit of a precursor to something Chris will probably talk about in a little bit here. But I, I think you know, even higher up is, is if, if a market's going to exclude ransomware or you know, if your primary is going to cover it and then further up your tower, uh, a market is not going to, doesn't want to cover ransomware, where your captive might step in and then you do reinsurance behind it just for the coverage that that reinsurer wants. And therefore, what, all you're keeping in the captive is sort of the exclusion piece or the DIC. But yeah, so, so we're definitely, we're seeing interest in it and we're seeing action on it now. I'll just add a little, Pete, onto what you're saying there, I think, on, on why, you know, the demand for maybe review of captives and captives capacity in the context of cyber is taking place is I think over the last two or three years with the change in recognition that cyber is a real risk which has to be managed in some way. We've seen that dynamic move from you know the risk management group to the treasury group and now we're seeing it much more recognized at the you know, C-suite group and the and the board of directors group. So so the risk management teams are much more motivated to if they can't manage the risk through commercial insurance trans risk transfer, then you know they're looking at other ways to try to uh, to manage that risk, and captives is one of those ways. So I think that's that's increasingly driving the demand is is senior management and boards of directors are you know looking for solutions, and we've got to try to find them for our risk management clients. That that's really interesting, Chris. So if from a top down perspective, there is kind of yeah more demand on the risk insurance manager to find a solution. You know, whereas previously it was, can we buy some cyber insurance coverage? Yes or no. Now it's for if we can't or we can't find what's suitable, we need to make something that is suitable. Is is there anything else regarding kind of um, what's prompted the, the change in attitude among the insurance buyers? It, the, the the risk hasn't changed, I guess, but is it the appetite or is it just another option in as they're searching for capacity and suitable coverage? A captive inevitably is going to have to play a role. Yeah, I mean, the, I think there's really been a, a combination of factors as, as we've talked about. I mean, the risk has changed and the perception of risk has changed. Risk and, and business managers are, are, are really taking notice. I, as I said previously, there's a really stronger perception that cyber uh, insurance, you know, whether it's through a captive or, or through the commercial markets, is, is an effective way of managing the risk. And I think you know, as we've gone on and had more experience, 
we are, you know, as Pete mentioned, uh, much more able to model and review the exposure to the extent that so if you're putting it into a captive, you're able to put numbers around it. And I know we're going to talk about this a little bit further, but be able to have some level of comfort that the risk that is going into the captive is such that it can be managed and understood. And so that's that's where I think we're going, Richard, and probably will continue to go for some time. I, I think this market, the hard market in cyber will continue. So I think as we move forward, we'll see more innovation in the use of captives. On that innovation uh, piece, MP, to, to what extent are you seeing the involvement of captives in cyber programs have the ability to be tailored or, or customized or is it actually that that's always going to be the case with a, with a risk like cyber the, the way that the captive is going to play in a program is good they are going to have to be tailored and customized there isn't kind of an off the shelf for this is there so the great thing for me richard is that i have people like chris that i can turn to to help me with those structures <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, the, the reality of it though is is as chris is working with a client right to put together their structure they're the ones that are seeing where the holes are coming in whether it's an increased retention or I would say more specifically, and you're thinking about it creatively and how you tailor and customize. And I'm, I'm hoping Chris will expand on this a little bit, but you know, is, is if there's a, a ransomware exclusion. Okay, so, so nobody in the, in the tower, the primary or up, is going to cover ransomware. Okay, now we have a DIC, right? We, so we have, we have an exclusion that we want to somehow finance somewhere. To Chris's point, you know, there's pressure from the borders. What are we doing about this risk? And if you have a captive and, and you have it well capitalized and uh, you know it's mature, then that could be a really good home for a ransomware type of risk that you're keeping on your balance sheet anyway, because the carriers aren't taking it. I think more as you work up the tower, um, and this is the area in particular that I, I hope Chris will expand on, is if you know, your primary is willing to cover ransomware or some other item, but you work up your tower and there's a market that's not, that says, we're not going to cover this. We're not comfortable with that risk. If they come into the tower taking the risk, their pricing might be beyond ridiculous, you know, 300% of the rest of the layer or, or 300% of what you expected. But instead, maybe you put the captive there and they take the risk. And then you go to that market and reinsure the captive. So see the risk out of the captive for what they're comfortable covering. And so whatever exclusion it was, whatever it was that they weren't comfortable with, you still end up retaining that, but you've driven the market pricing down of that layer further up. So you've hopefully been able to develop some cost efficiency there. So those are some of the ways we're seeing captives be utilized in the cyber programs. But ultimately, and I really want to build off Chris's point, he said, you know, it's, it's our job to bring solutions. So Chris and I partnering together working on a client, he's going through the markets and he's turning to me and he's saying, okay, here's some of the challenges we have. How can we use it? So it's still evolving as to what those creative structures are, but it, it's a captive can fit in because you're, if you're being forced to take the risk anyway, then it's really just a matter of how do we, how do we structure it, mitigate it to the extent possible. Can I jump in and just give a real world example of really what has happened on one of our accounts recently where we, we had a $75 million primary and, um, that particular primary dropped down to more like something to the level of 40 million or so. And, you know, in that instance, um, we had a set of uh, carriers on a $300 million tower above that, but they were going to put their price up considerably for the whole program if the attachment point for that lows layers 
you know, dropped considerably. So, you know, we use the captive to put into that spot to be able to keep the price point for the primary and then the rest of the tower. And when I say keep the price for the primary and the rest of the tower, it really was a situation where we would have, in the millions of dollars, been doubling the cost of insurance if we weren't able to put the captive in to be able to keep the primary layer at the same limit that we had it for the for last year. So that's, you know, that is a considerable savings. Um, and I think as Pete mentioned in that instance, we were able to then, because there were some markets that weren't able to provide the breadth of cover uh, for the primary, but they we could get them close. Uh, we were able to reinsure a considerable part of that captive capacity in at the primary level in order to be able to really transfer the risk uh, that they wanted to transfer at slightly narrower terms, but you know, considerable savings in price. Yeah, that that real that real life example, Chris, is is really good to hear. It's always great to have those those examples. Obviously, as more of this um, exposure is going in into captives, buyers obviously want to understand what that total exposure to the captive really is by putting that cyber in. So, how do you go about helping captive owners get comfortable with with that new exposure and, and justify it? I think, and I mentioned it, and I think Pete had mentioned it also, I think we are, as time goes by, much better able to model risk. And I think it breaks down into certain buckets. I think the data breach risk, which has been a risk that we've been dealing with now for you know, for 15 years or more on the privacy breach side, you know, we've got enough events there and enough knowledge of the cost of dealing with those events to be able to model those on the basis of sort of the number of personal records, how many databases of those personal records exist, what types of controls they have if those databases are separate. What's a little bit newer and perhaps a little more difficult to uh, model is is the business interruption losses. But we're finding uh, as we go forward, those are very dependent on the business and the, the way that networks are architected, such things as level of outsourcing, IT security maturity. And with the help of people who have a deep knowledge on the on the technology side, we're able to create uh, realistic scenarios for developing loss estimates that can be added into you know, stochastic modeling you know, to, in order to be able to develop customized frequency and severity probabilities for individual clients that you know, once we can you know, explain the the logic behind putting those together. We can get the IT security teams at um, our clients on board with the way that we've developed those models and in the you know level of confidence. I think that people like Pete, who's who are creating the the captives and 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 involved in trying to you know work with regulators and others in order to get people comfortable with it, are able to be able to feel that they can rely on those those numbers that we're we're developing. Chris, I think you nailed it spot on. Um, I, I was hoping that I could be the first one to say the word stochastic on this, though, just for the record. But but I think you nailed it spot on. And and you know at least being able to develop some level of modeling where based on you know assumption inputs, we can develop probabilities around losses and and you know I'll, I'll say some, something close to a PML or a probable maximum loss. Um, I think on the the data breach side, you know, there's been so much experience and being able to quantify that based on certain number of records. There's more of an ability there. All of that work building on what Chris said really plays into how we could present it to the regulators. A, when we look at the captive, we can see from a capital standpoint, what position are we in to retain that risk? And then as we present it to the regulators, essentially demonstrating that the captive is in a good position based on the risk that we're submitting in our business plan change. So I think that that modeling has been uh, incredibly helpful for a couple things from the regulatory standpoint, but also from C-suite side. 
is looking and saying some level of, of being able to model what the, that risk might look like and looking and saying, okay, our captives in a good position to retain that risk. We feel comfortable with it. And we're okay doing that. Where we have captives that feel as if the amount of cyber risk we're putting into them in our experience in building these programs has been to be able to find ways to manage those, we'll call them gaps in programs that we're trying to fill in one way, shape or form using captive capacity. And that is also to uh, use co-insurance. So to leave the risk out of the captive and let it sit just with the uh, with the insured. And we have an ability and have you worked with our clients to get a level of comfort to get that balance between co-insurance and captive. You know, obviously, we're trying as much as possible when we build these programs to get the cost of the commercial trans- risk transfer down as far as possible. But we're also trying to take as much of that large risk off the corporation itself. So, so to the extent that we're able to combine those in a in a way that uh, achieves the best possible result on the on the cost benefit analysis, that's a way that we can move forward with with that balance. Well, thank you to Pete Krantz and Chris Keegan of Beecher Carlson for a comprehensive outline of how and why captives are playing an increasing role in cyber coverage for their parent organisations. If you want more information on our guests and the Beecher Carlson captive practice, then please visit the globalcaptivepodcast.com website and check out the guests and friend of the podcast pages. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. (laughs) 